We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians this morning, Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's going to be page 986. We have been walking through these letters of Paul. We, we walked through the book of Acts, we, we understand Paul's journeys, we know where he went, and now we're going back, looking at these letters that Paul wrote in the midst of these, this, this story in Acts that we've already walked through. And, and we've mentioned here in his second journey, Paul uh, went, he saw the Macedonian man, he went across over to, to, to Greece, he walked through some of those cities and made churches there in, in Philippi and Thessalonica and um, Berea and, and continued on into Corinth. And, and while he was there, began to wonder what was going on in, in the churches in Thessalonica in particular, what was happening with those early believers. And so these last couple of weeks, we've looked at, at uh, 1 Thessalonians, that first letter that he wrote. He wanted to go back and to see them, but was unable to do that. And so he wrote in 1 Thessalonians that we wanted to come. We weren't able to do that. So he sent Timothy to go and to get a report from the church in Thessalonica. Timothy brings back that report. He says they're doing well. They're growing in their faith. The gospel is, is, is a part of who they are. They're being transformed by the gospel. And so Paul writes then, after Timothy's report, Paul writes his first letter to the Thessalonians. He says, Timothy came, he brought back this great report, and, and he sends a letter of encouragement to the Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, he has several themes that he hits on that we looked at these last couple of, of weeks, which carry over here into his second letter. In that first letter, he says, I'm so grateful. He says, I rejoice with you that the gospel has taken root in your lives and is transforming you, causing you, causing you to reflect and to declare the glory of God. God is giving you grace, he said in 1 Thessalonians, to endure persecution, and God is helping you to fight sin and to love others and to wait patiently in hope. And then he gave them some tips on some things that he thought they needed to know about those things, how to better fight sin, how to better love others, how to better wait for the day of the Lord. We don't know exactly what happens to get this second letter to the Thessalonians. It could be that that first letter gets delivered. We know that there's a short window between the first Thessalonian letter and the second Thessalonian letter that we have here. There's not a very long uh, period in between those things. Maybe even at the most a few months in the between those. So that first letter goes, what we, what we can assume is that the letter goes, they, they read it, and even, maybe even the one that delivered that first letter to the church in Thessalonica, he comes back to Paul and he says, you know, this, this letter, they, it was well received, they heard it, they understood it, but they still have some more questions. There's still a few more things that they're asking about. And so Paul just a few months probably after he sends that first letter, he pins this second letter to the church in Thessalonica. It has a lot of the same themes, many of the same issues that we dealt with in that first book he deals with in this second book. This letter is a little bit shorter. In fact, if you're looking in your Bible there, it's probably just a page or two, maybe three, depending on how your Bible is laid out. It's a much shorter letter, and he, he tries to hit the highlights, but he does much the same as what he did in the first letter. It's a letter of encouragement. 
That's what I want you to see first as we jump into this, to the very beginning of, of 2 Thessalonians. Paul wants to encourage the church. If you remember Galatians, that was the first letter that, that we looked at that Paul wrote. That's a whole different theme. It's a whole different feeling as you read through it. But as you read this letter, Paul's trying to encourage the church in Thessalonica. In fact, in fact his love for those early believers overflows out of this book. In fact, I would say, as I looked at First and Second Thessalonians these last weeks, I think if you want to know how to pray from Scripture, if you want to follow the example of Paul and the way he prays for fellow believers, how he prays for the church, look in these books. In fact, I just want to, I want to, I want to just walk through real quickly several prayers that we see here in Second Thessalonians. Right here at the very beginning, he says in, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, he says we, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and love of everyone and for you is, and love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Then he goes on later in the same chapter, chapter one, he says in verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God might make you worthy of his calling, may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus might be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in chapter two, towards the end of chapter two in verse 14, He says, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Verse 16, chapter 2, 16. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And then... In chapter 3, he even goes on. He has a couple of other ones. He says, starting in verse 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us, as he asks them for prayer. Pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We have confidence that that in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do, the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and steadfastness in Christ. And then ends even with his own hand at the very end of the letter. Chapter three, verse 16 says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, he says at the end. As you hear those, you probably even recognize them as, as prayers that, that we pray over the church, specifically that, that I pray over you, oftentimes at the end of the service. These are often used as benedictions, a number of them I have used as I have prayed over you at the close of a service. These are prayers by believers for believers in the midst of the church. So I hope that you see these. I hope that you read them, and as you read them, that you're stirred to say, I hope people are praying those prayers for me, and that you might even be moved to pray some of those prayers for the church around us. Paul gives us an example of praying in 2 Thessalonians, but that's not the only thing that he gives us here. Paul deals again in three things that we looked at in 1 Thessalonians that we look at again. 
The first thing that I think he helps us to see here in 2 Thessalonians is, is that there is a continued persecution and affliction of the believers in Thessalonica. We saw it in Acts when, when Paul uh, came to Thessalonica. He had just come from Philippi, if you remember, where he was beaten, where they were thrown in jail. Uh, the earthquake came. They, 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 the, the jailer was, was converted and transformed, and they moved on into Thessalonica. Again, they, they preached for three weeks. A riot rose up, if you remember. And, and there was the, the people who the, came in the riot, who came in the mob, they didn't, they didn't arrest Paul. They couldn't get their hands on Paul. Instead, they arrested Jason, it says, and they arrested him and some others who were hosting Paul and Silas and Timothy. That they were, they were against not just these men who had turned the world upside down, as it says there in Acts, but they were against all of those who might believe. And so persecution started right there in those very first weeks when Paul and Silas and Timothy come to begin to preach the gospel. But it has continued on over the years as Paul left and the church began to grow in Thessalonica, their persecution and affliction continued on. And so right away in chapter one, he says, we boast about your steadfastness. We boast about your steadfastness and all of the faith that you have in persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. Paul doesn't shy away from the fact that they are being persecuted, that there is affliction, that there is hardship. In fact, I would say that what Paul says in here is that this persecution and hardship and affliction that's coming against you, it should be expected. It should be expected. It shouldn't come as a surprise to you. Because persecution is part of what it means to live a life of faith. We live in a Western world where that doesn't feel true to us. Persecution is not necessarily something that we as believers deal with all of the time. There are certainly moments where that's true in our life. But that's not the norm It probably doesn't happen with regularity. But for the church in Thessalonica and for most of the church in the rest of the world, there is persecution for those who believe. There is suffering for those who believe. There is risk of death, and in fact, there even is death for most of the church and most of the world. And Paul says, You can expect it. You should expect it. But he goes on here in chapter 1, not only to say that you should expect it, we we boast because of what we see in you, but then he goes on to say in verse 4, and sorry, in verse 5, in verse 4 he says, we boast about your steadfastness. And in verse 5 then he says, this, this steadfastness that you have in the afflictions that you are enduring, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Paul says there's going to be persecution and there's going to be affliction so that you're going to experience persecution and suffering and affliction so that you might be considered worthy of the kingdom, so that you might be considered worthy of the faith that God has implanted in you. God uses 
suffering. God uses persecution. God uses affliction. God uses hardship to sanctify his people, to conform them more and more into the image of Christ. And that's not just true here for the Thessalonica church. It's true all over Scripture. We see it over and over that God continues to call people, that God's people continue to have suffering and affliction and persecution. They cry out to God. He rescues them, and they continue, even in the midst of their rescue, even in the midst of their, of their endurance, God continues to allow suffering and persecution to come to them. All over in Scripture. Even one of the illustrations that I thought of this week as I was preparing this was, was the illustration where, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, has an angel that comes to her, and, and what does he say? He says, Mary, do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. And then, and then lays out what the next months or years will look like for her. And as we read through those, as we think through those, we don't think favor with God. As her fiancé, her soon-to-be husband comes and, and makes plans to quietly divorce her because of this announcement, then changes his mind after the angel comes to him doesn't feel like favor. As she begins to grow in her pregnancy and, and even has to, to go off and visit her, her cousin, as all of those changes begin to happen, and as the people around her begin to talk, it doesn't feel like favor with God. As she rides on the donkey to Bethlehem for the census to be taken, and knows that at any moment she could give birth, that doesn't feel like, I would think at least, doesn't feel like favor with God. Giving birth in a stable doesn't feel like favor with God, and yet that's exactly what the angel called it. And in fact, I would say that's what Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians, is that as you suffer, as you bear these afflictions that you're enduring as you endure them with steadfastness, you should know. You should know that it's making you worthy of the kingdom of God. God is using, God is using your persecution to help you grow in your godliness. Hebrews reminds us that God disciplines those that he loves he tells us. He tells it to us this way in, in chapter 12 of Hebrews. He says, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you are being trained by your persecution, by your afflictions. And it is helping you to be considered worthy of the kingdom. He goes on at the end of that chapter, chapter one, to say this worthiness that you are suffering for, he says in, in verse 11, to this end we pray for you that God will make you worthy of his calling 
that he will fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that, in verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus might be glorified in you and you in him. Your suffering, this persecution that's happening with you and is helping you to be considered worthy of the kingdom, that God is training you, this is all about him. It's his glory. It's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that becomes glorified in you. Your suffering is for your sanctification and is for his glory. It's easy to lose grasp of assurance. It's easy to lose a picture of our hope in the midst of trial and suffering, and that's exactly what's happening to the Thessalonians. Paul is trying to remind them this persecution that you're going through, it's for for his glory, that you might be considered worthy of the calling that he's given to you, but they have begun to lose sight of the hope that they have. In fact, one of the things that happened, and we talked about this a little bit in this last letter, was that they believed, they believed that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. Even I think Paul might have even believed early on through these years, he believed that Jesus was going to return sometime during their lifetime. But the Thessalonians, they're, they're dealing with this persecution, they're dealing with this suffering, they're dealing with the hardships that are happening around them and, and have been convinced that they must have missed Jesus' return. They must have missed the day he came back. We see that, that theme in chapter 2 here of this letter to the Thessalonians that we must have missed the day of the Lord. In fact, uh, there, there was some kind of, of letter, some kind of, of speaker maybe that came and shared with the church that, that it has already come and gone and you missed out on it. And Paul says, he says, don't be quickly shaken in chapter two, verse two. He says, don't be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter that seemed to come from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. You feel hopeless in the midst of this, he says. You feel like maybe even the day of the Lord has come and we've missed it. Don't be shaken, he says. This, this second theme that I think he deals with here in, in chapter 2, it, 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 it's about the day of the Lord. It's about, it's about waiting for Jesus' return. And it even has some difficult things that we'll, we'll kind of walk through here a little bit. Some difficult things to understand and to comprehend. But I think more than the theme of, of what is the day that he is going to come back, I think the theme that Paul wants to remind the Thessalonians of is the sovereignty of God, that God's in charge of all things, that he is the one that knows the day, he is the one that knows the plan, and that we are to stand firm, as Paul says, to not be shaken because we rest in the foundation that God is in charge of all things. Let me show you why I think that here in, in chapter 2. He says, says, don't be shaken, don't be deceived. Remember, he says, the things that we have talked about. He, and when he was there, those, those three weeks that he taught in the temple, and then he stayed a little longer, probably just a few weeks, maybe was, a, was there in Thessalonica just for a, a couple of months at the most. As he taught in those weeks and in those months, he probably taught among, about some of these very things, about that Jesus had promised to return to his people. And so they were waiting and they were anxious about it. He had a lot of teachings. That's what we read about here in chapter 2, that they would have remembered and been able to recall. 
And he says, don't be shaken because the numbers of the things that I told you were going to happen, they have not happened yet. These things have not taken place yet. A number of things that he talks about there, that there's going to be this this man of, of lawlessness that is going to be a deceiver and he is going to attempt to take over, to rule, to reign over the world. But Jesus, Paul says, Jesus will return and he will defeat He will kill with his very breath, Jesus says, or Paul says. Jesus will kill with his very breath of his mouth this man of lawlessness and and those that do not believe in the truth. They also will perish when this happens. Difficult things to walk through, things that, that, that are even difficult for us because we don't have those first teachings of Paul. And yet we can see in the midst of this teaching we can see in the midst of this that Paul is saying, don't fret. God is sovereign over all things. Stand firm, he says in chapter 2, verse 15. Stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Remember, God is in charge of all of these things. There is nothing that's outside of his control. Jesus wins Jesus rules over all things. He triumphs in the end. And he says, let that, let that knowledge that Jesus will win in the end, let that knowledge bring you eternal comfort. He says that at the end of chapter two. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them for every good work. And continues on in chapter three. By saying in verse 3, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. He says, Jesus, Jesus will win in the end. God is sovereign over all things. The last thing that he talks about here, just for a moment, I think in chapter 3, again refers to something that we saw back in his first letter. The people of Thessalonica, they, they believed that Jesus was to come and that he was to come soon. And some of them, some of them believed that so much that they had quit working, they had quit their jobs, they were waiting for Jesus to come back, and they were coasting end to the end. They had quit working. They were becoming mooches. They were becoming busybodies in the church and in the city. And so Paul is saying to them, Paul is saying to them, you need to work hard. You need to work hard. He says, he says in verse 7, you know how you, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because while we were there, he says, we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. He says, that's what you should be doing. Work hard. We were not, we were not created for idleness. We were not created for idleness. Now, work has certainly changed since sin came into the world, since the part of the curse, we've, we've talked about that in Genesis chapter 3, we see the curse it really affects the work of men and women. 
But work was around even before the curse. God had given responsibilities and jobs to Adam right in the garden before, before sin was, had entered into the world. Work was created by God in the Garden of Eden. And he called us to work then, and he calls us to continue to work now. And we were not, we were not created to be idle people. We are to work both, both for our own good as well as for the good around us. And even more than that, we are called to work for the glory of God. And Paul is asking them, he's commanding them, do not, do not coast into the end. As you wait, as you wait for this day when Jesus is to come, and Paul, again, I think Paul believed it was going to come soon, even in his own lifetime. I think Paul is saying, as you wait for this day, work hard all the way to the end. Do not coast. Don't take off these last days or weeks or months or years. Work hard. And then in the midst of your work, he says, don't grow weary in doing good. He says that in verse 13. Don't grow weary in doing good. Continue to do what you saw us do while we were with you. Continue to be faithful in the calling that God has given to you. Continue to be faithful even in the midst of persecution and suffering and affliction, but work hard. Do not grow weary doing good. Paul wants them to anticipate the day, to long for the day, and to go full force towards that day, the day that Jesus will return. This morning, the worship team is going to come and lead us we're going to sing again a, a song that we just sang here and as we worship together. Looking forward and longing for that glorious day. Paul's admonition to the Thessalonians, Paul's admonition to the Thessalonians was don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't get tired. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be persecution, but be steadfast in it. Endure your hardship. Look forward to that day. Because when that day comes, we do not want to coast in. We want to go in full speed ahead. We want to be strong in it. And he closes by saying, Now may the Lord of peace himself, may he give you peace in all times in every way. May he be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. May that be our prayer as well. Please stand with me as we worship together. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he the word became flesh and the light shined among us his glory revealed living he loved me dying he saved me 
buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day One day they led him on Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sin, my Redeemer is he. The hand that healed nations stretched out on a tree. And took the nails for me, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord evermore. Death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him. From rising again, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming One day the skies with his glories will shine Wonderful day my beloved one bringing My Savior Jesus is mine Living he loved me Dying he saved me Buried he carried My sins far away Rising he justified Freely forever One day he's coming Oh glorious day Oh glorious day Our benediction today comes from one of those prayers here in 2 Thessalonians, a prayer that, that I, Pastor Steve and I know as well, have been praying over you this year in 2023. To this end, we always pray for you. 
that our God may make you worthy of his calling, may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ.